Well, good morning, good morning. Hello, Redeemer, welcome. If you're a visitor with us, sure glad to have you this morning. Our pastoral staff is out. I don't know where they are, playing golf, doing something. I don't know. They're all gone today. Um, good to have you guys today. And for me also, happy Mother's Day. Good to have you guys here. I was thinking the other day, you know the difference in, in Mother's Day and Father's Day? Uh, Mother's Day is, is uh, dinner is chicken salad, and men, it's ribs and brisket, right? Well, some of you ladies like brisket, I know. I, I'm just messing around with you. But uh, it's a great day. And women, i tell you something. You guys are gifted in ways us men can never possibly comprehend. Y'all do, yeah, I know. You guys do things with these children, and uh, it, it's just amazing to watch you. So uh, let's give it up for all the moms, because it's a special day for them. We raised three children, and I watched my wife do that, and it was some amazing to come, time, come home some days and kind of go, wow, you dealt with that all day long? I mean, that's some good stuff. So you guys are amazing, folks. As I've raised uh, with my wife three children, it's, it's interesting to see how their, their mindset changes over the years regarding their parents and certainly their moms. And, uh, you know, moms uh, get to be, they, they're told everything. The kids love them, and dads, we just kind of do our work and come home and go shake our head and yep. Yeah. But moms uh, get to hear all the information, and they get to disseminate all that's going on. And kids' minds and their attitudes towards moms change over the, over the years. And I found this. I thought it was really interesting. See what you think. At four years of age, this is what a child says, my mommy can do anything. At eight years of age, my mom knows a whole lot. At 12 years of age, my mother doesn't really know quite everything. At 14 years of age, naturally, uh, mother doesn't know that either. 16 years of age, mother, <laughs> she's hopelessly old-fashioned, right? At 18 years of age, that old woman, she's way out of date. It just happens that way. At 25 years of age, well, she might know a little bit about it. 35 years of age, before we decide, let's get mom's opinion, 45 years of age, I wonder what mom would have thought about that. And at 65 years of age, I wish I could talk it over with mom. Isn't that true? How our mindset just kind of drifts over the years. And, you know, a good mom and the love and care that she provides for her children is a direct representation and reflection of God's love for us. I really believe that. And um, moms are incredible testimonies to the love of Jesus Christ. But sometimes, just like when teenagers go through hard times, life gets hard on us and we struggle and we ask hard questions and difficult questions of God and who He is. Questions like this, hey God, um, you really don't know what is best for me, do you? Because this really hurts, the stuff I'm going through. Or God, doing it uh, the way you want me to is just a little old-fashioned and does not take my needs into account. Or how about this, hey God, um, can you really help me with this because I'm in a lot of trouble right now? Hey, God, how can you forgive me over and over and over again when I can't get control over this sin and it just seems to own me? Hey, God, I know I've done things my own way for a long time. I have blown up my marriage or my finances or my kids or my job. I just don't understand who I am, my sexuality, why I'm addicted to these things, why I feel so bound up with anxiety and fear in my life. I just wish I could talk it over with you. Where are you, God? And you know, like a faithful, loving mom, he says, you know, I'm right here with you, and I have never, ever left you. Let me ask you a question. Where do you go when life falls apart? Where do you go when you hit a wall in life? 
What happens to your faith when, when life gets hard and there seems to be no answers? What do you believe about God will have a direct reflection upon how you lived your life. If, if you feel certain ways about God, you're not going to address them properly. If you feel that God has left you, then you probably will look to another faith system, whatever that is, to find hope. If you believe that God does not care about you, um, you don't seek Him with your solutions and for problems in your life. If you think God is angry at you, you run from Him because nobody wants to be around a person that is always angry with them. So this morning, what I want to do is answer some of those questions by looking at the visible image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ. As he demonstrates answers to questions we're asking about our lives, I want to look at a portion of Scripture that is so easy just to blow right through. And as we read through it so many times in the Gospels, we just kind of jump past it, but it's such an important passage of Scripture. It can have a great impact on our lives. We're going to be looking at Jesus' baptism this morning and his temptation thereafter and see what that has to say for us. Um, let me give you a little introduction here about before we go into this. Jesus was 30 years old when he was baptized. And um, we have really very little to go about what's been recorded in scriptures about what his childhood was like. But we do know a couple things. That because he was a human being, he played, right? He ate, he got tired, he slept, he scraped his knee. Uh, he learned to work, he learned to do chores. He learned to do things just like you and I did. And just like you and I try to figure out who we are in this life, Jesus in the same way had to figure out who he was as he was growing up and, figure, and try to understand as a human being grows up to understand what's going on in his life and why he's, 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 under, he's feeling these things and understanding these things and he's trying to get a grip on what's going on. And just like you and me, he asked a lot of questions, I'm sure, growing up of his mother and of his father. He's no different than you are because he was 100% human. We'll talk about that in a second. And a lot of us, when we were growing up, asked this one question quite a bit, I'm sure. You might not think about it in this terms, but we did. And that question is, and I think Jesus asked the same question, is this, am I enough? Am I enough? You go, well, I never asked that question, Mark. I've never sat around and go, am I enough? But let me give you some examples. Can I make it through junior high? Am I enough to make it through junior high or high school when it seems that nobody likes me and I don't fit in? Am I enough to leave home and make it through college? Can I do this job? Or you've just been promoted. You know, your boss brings you in, you interview real well, you get promoted to a new position, you kind of go, boy, I sure hope I can do this job because I've sold everybody on myself that I can do this job. You're kind of going, I hope I'm enough to do it. Can I really be married and be a good husband or a good wife? Am I enough for him or her? Here's another one. Um, I remember this really well. What is this that came out of my wife? <laughs> you ever thought that? It didn't come with an instruction manual, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I hope I'm enough to be a good mother, a good father, because, I mean, our first baby was born, and, and, and we're sitting there, and the baby was crying, our daughter Becca. Why is she crying? The nurse comes in and says, you know what? You might need to change the diaper every once in a while. Like, oh, yeah, that's it. We got to change a diaper on a baby. Am I enough to be a good mother or a good father? Can I really handle this divorce or the loss of a loved one? Am I enough to do that? Am I enough to just be a husband or a wife again since the kids have left home and our house is empty? Am I enough to do that? Can I handle my senior years and my declining health? You see, life gets tough. Life gets difficult. And the answer is, without God, probably not. 
If we did so well with those things, we would have, have the problems we're having nowadays in our lives. But here's the good news. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. In all those situations, if God is in the midst of those things, he can help us through those things and work through those issues. If you remember back when the disciples uh, were told to go out and, and uh, start their, really their first kind of missionary tour, so to speak, and they couldn't heal a boy. And this is uh, in Matthew chapter 17. They came back and said, why couldn't we do this? Here's what Jesus says. Back in Matthew chapter 17, verse 19 through 20. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have the faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to here and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Later on in chapter 19, he says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So when life comes crushing in on you, and we look at it, we kind of go, I don't know if I'm enough to handle this. We've got to remember with God, all things are possible. So what I want to do is take a look at this guy, Jesus, because he is the, the testimony of our lives. He, he is the ultimate human being. And let me talk about this for a second, because this is really, really important here. When he begins his ministry, um, he's 30 years old, and I think as he goes through life, he starts wondering who he is and trying to discover who he is in, in his father's presence. We can't forget this. This is so important. Jesus was 100% deity, and he was also 100% human. To detract from that by 1% is heresy. And the church defeated that back in 451 in the Creed of uh, Chalcedon when they came to a council and they said, no, you know what he was? He was 100% human and 100% God. We cannot detract from either one of those things. He, he experienced what we experienced in life and he's also deity. Look, listen to what they said in, the, um, in this council. This is very, very complicated. And these guys were smart and they were, they were just amazing. They're wordsmiths. So I'm going to read this real slowly and let you read this and see what they said back in uh, 451. We, then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable, rational soul and body, consubstantial, let's stop there, that means of the same substance or essence is what it's talking about, consubstantial, coessential with the Father, according to the Godhead, and consubstantial with us according to the manhood. And all things like unto us without sin. So they wrote it back then. They said, listen, there was heresy going on in the church. They were saying he wasn't 100% God. He was 50% God and 50% human. Or they were throwing percentages around. And the church came together and said, that's not true. He was 100% God and 100% man. You cannot detract from either one of those. Or it's a heresy in our church. The, creed, the, the doctrine is called the hypostatic union technical terms, but that's what they came up with, and that's a, that's a theology that we hold too strongly today. Here's the deal. Most of us don't have a problem accepting Christ as deity, 100% deity. That's pretty simple for most of us. We go to church, we believe that. The problem is to accept him as 100% human because this, once we let Jesus be human in the flesh, then he starts getting extremely close to who we are. You mean he starts to understand what we're going through and, and the things in our life. He understands life as you and I understand it because he was a boy and he grew up just like you and I did, trying to figure things out in life, trying to understand things. And that's why this next passage of Scripture is so 
critically important and why it's in the Scripture. We're going to go to his baptism here, but you've got to understand this. If the baptism wasn't important, then why did Jesus just not get ordained and sent out and go, just go? Because God the Father had something to say to God the Son, and we're going to read it together here. This is in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now you just got to stop there. Why is this in Scripture? Why we even put it there? Why not just send him out to do his, his work? Because God had to say something to God in the flesh, the human being side of him, who needed to hear something. And what he heard was so important, and that's why it's been put in the Scriptures, but we tend to blow past it uh, from time to time because we just kind of read it as his baptism. But you've got to think about this. From this point on, from Jesus' baptism on, the next three years is a straight path to the cross. It's going to get rough on Jesus really quick. Because of Christ's humanity, God the Father knows it's going to be difficult and he's going to need something to hang on to in the dark days ahead of him. So here's the questions that the Father answers to the Son in his baptism. And this is why it's important for him. The first thing he says, he says, you know what, Jesus? First of all, you're my son. I want you to know something. I want you to hang on to this. And let me tell you who you are. You're my son. No matter what happens in your life, you are mine. Hang on to that with every ounce of your being because your life is about to become very, very difficult. Never forget, you're my son. He needed to hear that. The second thing he says is, Jesus, let me tell you something else. I love you. When it gets dark, when circumstances get hard, when everyone else turns on you, this will not change. I am your father, you are my son, and I love you, even when it doesn't feel loving. Never forget you are loved by me. And one more thing, Jesus, I am pleased with you. I've sent you here for a purpose, and you are enough to see this work through. You can do it. I'm going to give you the strength to do it, and you're going to go out and serve me, and you're going to die on a cross. So you've got to hang on to these things, Jesus, because it's going to get rough. How do we know that? Because Scripture takes us there. As soon as his baptism occurs, this great event where he gets to hear from the Father, and he hears all these things, what's the next thing that Scripture takes us to? Immediately, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Immediately. Right after his baptism. Satan is going to attack Jesus, not much in his deity, more in his humanity, because he knows that's where he's got the easiest way in. Just like you and me, that's where he comes at us, right? So he's going to come at Jesus on the, huma on the on his humanity side and attack him there and see if he can make him fall. So he leads him into the wilderness, and this is what happens. This is the first temptation. Matthew chapter 4, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I want you to stop here because this is what Hollywood does for us. This is what movies do for us. And this is what you know, artwork does for us. We get this picture of Jesus. In our, in our brain. And this picture is this, this Hollywood-looking, blonde, sometimes blonde-haired, good-looking Jesus walking in the desert for 40 days. He hasn't eaten. He's got his staff. He's just kind of hanging out. He's a good-looking guy, not having any problems. You know what, though? 
after about a day, I'm, I'm about done of not eating. I don't know about you. About lunchtime right here, I'm smelling Lafinca and Fuddruckers, and it's time to go. But you've got to think about this. And I've talked to um, uh, some people about this, and she said, what is a, a human body like after 40 days of not eating? Folks, he, he was skin and bones. Probably barely stand. He's not just walking around with a smile on his face and rosy cheeks and a halo above his head. He is about dead. And Satan comes to him and tempts him. And this is the temptation that he brings to him. Hey, you know what, God? Uh, you said that God loves you. You know what, Jesus? You think that God loves you? If he did, why would God allow you to starve to death? If he's a good God, why would he do that if he loves you? Take care of yourself, Jesus, because he does not love you. If he was a good, loving father, he would provide for you. Look at yourself. You know, Jesus, what is best for you better than anybody else. Hey, Jesus, feed yourself. You do it. Don't depend on God. Take it. And what's Jesus' response? Man shall not live by bread alone, stop here, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, that certainly means all of Scripture, but most importantly, what just happened in context of Matthew? He heard from the mouth of God, and what did he say? You are my son, I love you, and I am pleased with you. Hang on to that, Jesus, because life's going to get difficult. You can't please yourself. You can't take it on your own. Trust me, Jesus. That's the temptation that came to him. And Jesus' response is this. You know what, Satan? I am hungry, and I'm starving, but my father is good, and he loves me. He told me so, and he knows that I need food to live. And I'm going to believe in what he said is true and lean on his words instead of my own provision for my life. So the question that brings to me is this. Uh, do you and I really believe our Father is good and knows our needs? And will he provide for you as he has promised to do so? If he does and if he did, then you and I would live our, we would live our lives a lot differently than we do now if we really trusted in him like that. But we don't. So often we try to provide for ourselves and fill in the blank to whatever we need in our lives. We don't trust in what God says is true. There's two deals that I want you to look at. The first option for us is this. I don't believe it, that God's going to care for me and provide for me. I come to church because it just makes me feel better, or I lost a bet with a friend, or my spouse makes me come. Um, but, you know, I don't believe it. The other option is this. It's actually true, and God pursued me. And he saved me and lives in me and forgives me. He has promised me that he will take care of me in this life and the next. And although I think I know what's best for me, and I am hungry for fill in the blank. I am hungry for this. I will trust in his provision, and I will have faith in what he says is true and not provide for myself and what I think I need. What do you mean when you says, uh, say to have faith? Well, faith is this. Faith is the level of confidence that you have, big or small, in what God says is true. And your life responds accordingly. So the question that comes to mind is, um, do you and I really believe in God's goodness? Or do we just take it on our own and provide for our own because, you know, God, you're not providing. You're not stepping up to bat. I need these things in my life. I'm hungry, and you're not coming through. So I'm going to provide for myself. Or do we believe in God's goodness? 
I was on Young Life staff for uh, seven plus years, ten years, did a lot, a lot of volunteer work with them, and, and um, Young Life is an outreach ministry to high school kids, and we, um, it, it's not about Bible studies as much as it is really an outreach program. We're looking for lost kids and bringing them into the gospel message and, and who Christ is. And after kids come to Christ, we take them to a camp called Wilderness Ranch up in Colorado, and it was a backpacking trip, and we take them up there, and we put them through what's stress backpacking, but Boy Scouts do this, other folks do this. And we go for um, six days and five nights. So we'd go up there on a van. We'd uh, get into the camp. We'd pack our packs. And uh, we could only have one change of underwear, no deodorant, no watches. And that was it. And you packed in all your own food. And so we'd start hiking up these mountains. And we were all city kids. You know, I did this trip three or four times. And it's not easy. If you guys have been backpacking in Colorado, it's not an easy trip. It, and that's the whole purpose is to try to stress people out and get them beyond their comfort zone up in the mountains. And there were times when kids were just bawling, and we'd come around them, and we'd take their backpacks, we'd help them out, get them up the mountain, and uh, you're just up there, and there's no going back. And it was a great trip, and, and uh, my family and some other families would go up there in the summertime, and uh, this is after I've off, I was off staff, there's some cabins in the middle, we'd rent those cabins out, and just stay there and get to enjoy the mountains. And after the trip was over, each week, the kids would come down all stinky and smelly, and they'd pull them in on a big truck, and they'd get out and take, sh- uh, take showers and clean up, and they'd have this, what they call a say-so. They'd all come together, have a really good meal, not dried camp food, and stroganoff that's in a package. It's nasty. And we, they'd come together in this group, and, they'd, and we'd eat uh, a good meal. And so we'd go in there and sit and listen to them talk and listen to them share about their, their stories and what they did up on the mountains. Most of them would stand up and say, you know what? We had a great trip, and I learned that uh, when things get hard, I can do things up in the mountains. God gives me strength to really make it through. Others would say, you know, uh, I learned I have good friends, and they can help me when I'm really hurting. And there was different stories like that. Others said, you know, I learned a lot about God, and I saw God's creation and how beautiful that is up there. But I'll never forget this. Uh, there was a girl from Memorial High School. She came in on her trip, and, and they came in, and all these girls sat down, and boys sat down, and it was her turn to say something. And she stood up, and she looked at everybody, and with tears in her eyes, she looked out, and she said, I learned that God is good, and she sat down. I mean, tears are streaming down my face. I'm going, wow. I, I don't know what kind of baggage she's carrying, religious baggage, personal baggage of, of, about stuff, but she was up in that mountain, and she learned something different than all the rest that I've heard, that God is good. That's powerful. I wonder if you, you, could, I, you and I could take lessons from that and kind of go, you know, is God really good, or we just kind of push him off sometimes to the side and say, well, I, I know that, God, but uh, you're not coming through for me. God is good. Jesus proves that in his first temptation. He says, you know what, no matter what I'm going through, even though I'm hungry and I'm starving, my God is good. He told me he loves me and he cares for me, and I'm going to lean into that and not my own provision. But round one is over. Jesus wins. Round two comes at us. And it's just like Satan, right? He doesn't stop. We might have some victories, but the next day he's right back at us and he's attacking us and who we are and trying to get us to fall. And so here's uh, the second temptation. Matthew 4, 5 through 6. And the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command the angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Well, what is his temptation here? Here it is. Hey, Jesus, you know what? If you're the Son of God, stop right there. If you're the Son of God, isn't that how he, how he comes after us? Really? 
Let me give you an example. Hey, I know what you read in your Bible, and I know what you heard in church, but look, uh, you're starving, and God does not love you, and he won't provide for you. If he is your father, he's not a very good one, because you're starving to death, aren't you? Satan's, uh, his temptation of Jesus continues, and he says this, so if you are the son of God, and God cares for you, Jesus, and he stops him, and he, it's literally written like this. He points right in the chest and says, you know what, Jesus? Prove it. God really loves you and you're the son of God, prove it. Jump. Intentionally jump because you know what? The angels will care for you and you won't even stub your toe. Hey, Jesus, you want to roll the dice? This is your chance. Prove it if you're the son of God. This is one of my favorite illustrations and it kind of defines uh, our daily struggle. And I, I love this slide because... Um, over the past couple of years, this has been the one that's been haunting me, actually. You know, it's you and I, we're standing on this cliff, and, and, and it's breaking away, and we look down, and we kind of go, God, life is hard behind me, you know? And Satan's tempting us, and we look down there, and we kind of go, but man, it looks good down there. I ought to jump. I really ought to jump. I think it'd be better down there. And God is saying, don't you understand? The thief came to kill and destroy you. Don't jump. And you go, I don't know. You're not doing it for me, God. You're not providing for me. I'm hungry. I think I'm going to jump. Look, you're starving for whatever. Fill in the blank. Go ahead. Listen, here's what he says. You're a Christian. Jump. Sign the papers. Send the next text. Let your anger pour out over somebody because they deserve it. Don't reconcile that relationship even if it's your fault. You know what? If you're a Christian, God will forgive you. You know what's best for you. You're suffering, and it's really good down there. Just go ahead and jump. It's better down there. But here's the problem. What Satan is doing here is he's, mis he's misquoting the Bible. He's actually um, misinterpreting what it says there, because Satan's really good at this, right? I mean, he's good at taking scriptures and throwing them at us when they don't mean what they mean, and Jesus kind of goes, hey, I didn't say that. That's not anything, I have nothing to do with that. You're just misinterpreting that. This is what he does. And so, this is, he's quoting out of Psalm 91. Verse 11 through 12, and he says this. This is where he's quoting from. But uh, he will command the angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On your hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The problem is, is the context of the passage we'll see here in Psalm 91, verse 1 through 2, says this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. You see, this psalm is, for, is a promise for faithful people, including Jesus, who dwell in the shelter of the Most High. We are to stay in His shadow. And so we ask the question, well, how close do I got to be to you, God? He says, in my shadow, and I will be your fortress. So Jesus looks at Satan after he gets poked in the chest and says, come on, jump, prove yourself. He says, why should I do that? I already know who God is, has promised for me and what He's promised for me. You want me to doubt God like the Jews did back in the desert? You know, I'm not going to do that. You're misapplying the scriptures. You are not to put the Lord your God to the test. And I believe what my Father has said is true. And I will stay in the Father's shadow, not yours. You see, here's our temptation that comes to us. There is something that I could get out there that will be able to fill what is missing in here. There's something out there, and I'm going to go get it because something is missing in here. 
And I can fill it better than God will ever fill it. Roll the dice. God will forgive you. That's what Satan says to us. He pokes us in the chest. You, you call yourself a Christian? Okay, jump. Don't worry about it. God will forgive you. The problem is, I know what God says about me, but sometimes I just don't know if I really honestly believe it. I know everything in the garden is good, except for the tree, but maybe the tree in the middle is a little bit better. I think I'll give it a try. Did God really say stick with your marriage? If it's hard, get out. It might be a little messy for a while, but it's okay. The kids will accept it. You see, he's poking us in the checks. And he's saying, get out. Go ahead. It's all right. Jump. Come on. Have one more drink. It won't lead any further. One more text message. One more night with him or her. It won't hurt. You'll be fine. You'll have, you have needs, and you need to get them filled. Go ahead and jump. Why would we, we choose not to trust God? I, sometimes I ask myself that question. Why am I choosing not to trust him right now? What's holding me back from really trusting in, in who God is and who he says he is and what he's going to do for me? You know, Jesus says when things are difficult, who gets to write on my page and fulfill the needs in his timing? It's not you, Satan, but it's my father. He's the one that gets to write on my page and gets to tell me uh, what I need and, and provide for me. Jesus says, I know who I am because God has told me so. He did so in my baptism. I know that he loves me because he told me so. I know he will care for me because he has told me so. I know that he knows my needs and he will take care of me because he told me so. I know who God is and with him all things are possible. You know what? I don't need to jump to prove it. I don't need that. I'm trusting my father. Round three. All right. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He says, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. Well, how is Satan tempting Jesus here? He says this, Jesus, I will give you all that you have been promised, and you won't need to suffer one bit if you just jump and worship me. Everything that you've been promised, I will give to you, and you don't need to suffer. You don't need to hurt. You don't need to struggle. You don't need to go to the cross. I'll give it to you. Here's the funny paradox of the whole thing. You remember when Jesus died and was resurrected and comes back to, and is talking to the disciples in the Great Commissioning? You know what he's on a high mountain? You know what he says? All authority has been given to me. All authority. That's the contrast in these two scriptures. Our temptation is this, you know, you're lonely in your marriage. This will give you fulfillment without him or her. You're so angry or depressed, this will numb you. You don't need to suffer. You don't feel accepted by others at your school, but there's a boy, and he says to me, I love you. So jump, and you'll get what you need without all the suffering, because it's good down there. Jump. Jesus' response is this, no way. I trust who God says he is. When life gets hard and when I feel alone, I will trust in what he says and his provision for me. You see, all three of these temptations are a question of faith, really, and, and how our faith comes into play when we are uh, challenged to trust who, in who God says he is. 
Here's a question for you. Do you believe God is who he says he is and that he has the power to keep the promises he has made to you? Think about that for just a second. Do you believe that God is who he says he is and he has the power to keep the promises he made to you? We have to answer that question in ourselves and with our faith. But here's the problem. You know, we say we trust God and we believe he can work in other people's lives, but for some reason, I don't believe God, uh, what God says about me is true and he can't work in my life like that. You know, we'll preach it to people, we'll tell people. When it comes to me, you know, I can provide for myself better than God. And that's the struggle that you and I face on a daily basis, isn't it? In our marriages, in our relationships, in our jobs, in our work, in our daily lives, we're constantly fighting that battle, trying to provide for ourselves, not trusting God, not waiting on Him. So let me ask you to do something a little weird, okay? This is not going to be running around the room or, you know, doing anything kind of really weird, but it's going to be a little weird because we've never done it before here, so I'm going to ask you to do it. If you don't want to do it because you're one of those people that says, I'm not going to do what the preacher says, I don't care what he says, I'm not going to do it, do it for me, okay? It's kind of fun, especially you high school kids and junior high kids, right? Take out your phone if you want to do this with me and put it on camera mode, okay? Because I think this will come and help you out in the future, and as this week goes on, I want you to deal with something. Matter of fact, you might even go to Mother's Day lunch and kind of talk about this stuff. So here we go. I want to put four statements on the screen here, and I want you to snap a picture of these statements. Go ahead. It's not weird. You're not going to go be punished forever. Eternal damnation for taking a picture. Good. Y'all are doing a great job. All right. Now you got it on the screen. Now here's what I want you to think about. Listen to these four statements. God is wise enough to know what is best for you. God is loving enough to want what is best for you. God is strong enough to do what is best for you. And God is faithful enough to never leave you. So here's the question as we uh, work through those. Which one of those four statements, here's the question I want you to deal with, is the hardest one for you to believe? Which one of those four statements is the hardest one for you to believe? You know, most of them you could probably get there, you're kind of going, yeah, 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 I got that. But there's my, probably one that's jumping off the page, you kind of go, that's the one that I have problems with. That's the one I'm struggling with. And what I want you to deal with this week is why. Why are we having problems with that statement there? And let me give you a possible solution. You know why you don't believe it's true? Because the circumstances in your life are bumping into your faith and they don't seem to line up. Did you get that? The circumstances in your life are bumping into your faith and for some reason they don't line up. And I'm having a hard time grabbing onto one of these. Maybe two, maybe more. My marriage is dead. My career is dead. My relationships are dead. My finances are dead. The most important things in my life are dead. Here's what we need to learn. God's specialty is bringing dead things back to life. God's specialty is bringing dead things back to life. Will you trust him? Are you willing to trust God and say, you know what, God, I'm in. Um, I don't know how, and it seems impossible with whatever fill in the blank. And you know what, on your own, if God doesn't show up, it probably is impossible. But if he is who he says he is, and you're leaning into him he will give you the grace to do what you need to do if you abide in the shadow of his wings, like we learned in the Psalms. 
Jesus is the clear demonstration of God's intentions towards you. And when life falls apart, grace doesn't. When grace, grace holds on, you see, when we let go. The old illustration we used to give with uh, students is that God reaches down and grabs hold of us, and we grab hold of him, and a lot of times we just let go, but God never lets go. He's always holding on to us with his grace. He says, you are mine. Put your trust in me. Uh, my son, uh, Jared, is here today. I'm not going to embarrass him, but he is a fantastic kid, and, and uh, he is in the drum line at school and, and plays drums, and he's also... Um, a well-accomplished actor, and he's been in a lot of the plays, the lead roles in a lot of the plays since in junior high up through high school. And uh, this last uh, spring, he was in a play called The Diary of Anne Frank. <clears throat> he's playing the father figure, and you've probably read the book or know about it where um, a Jewish family, a couple of families were held up in a, basically an attic, kind of apartment attic, uh, from the Nazis back in World War II. And um, they got to play these characters as adults, right? So these are high school kids that are stepping into adult roles, and they're playing these characters, and uh, they did a fabulous job, and they, they won the first round, and they won the second round, and, and after the second round, uh, in all these rounds, the judges get together with all the students down there, they bring them down, they start critiquing their performances. And I'll never forget what one judge says. He says, here's the problem. You guys are high school kids, and you're jumping into an adult role. You don't, really don't know what that's like because you haven't been there. You don't know what it's like to be a parent and understand and, it's, and be fearful of your kids being killed and murdered and all this stuff going on. And so what the students were having problems doing is when they were acting, they had problems looking at each other face-to-face and eye-to-eye because adults or married people, when you're talking, you're intimate, you have this relationship, we talk to each other face-to-face and eye-to-eye. And he said, what I need to get you guys to do is when you're acting is to look at each other because it communicates intimacy, it communicates acceptance, it communicates all these things. So you guys as actors need to step up, and, and even though you're, you're a kid in an adult role, you've got to look at each other eye to eye. And I thought about that when I was sitting there, and it just hit me. And I thought, what is our eye contact with Jesus like? Are we looking down and kind of going, you know, I can't look you in the eye, Jesus. There's too much going on, and I'm just going to take care of it myself. Or do we have face-to-face eye contact with Jesus? Can we look him in the eye? Where are you in life right now? Hopefully you're at that point, no matter what you're going through in life, you're looking him straight in the eye and you say, I trust in you, God, and what you said for me is true, and I believe that more than anything else, no matter what's going on in my life, because in this life, you're going to take care of me and also in the next. You know, as a mother cares for a child with a fever, so our God cares for us. Back in the 1980s, um, one of the most prolific songwriters, I think, in my opinion, was a guy named Wayne Watson, and just wrote some incredible lyrics to songs. And uh, this, I want to read you the lyrics of a song that um, I remember the first time I heard it, and I just wept. I was sitting in my car, I don't know, I was driving, and I was listening to the song. I just, it's just amazing. And um, I want you to listen to the words of this. He says this, in mama's eyes, by my bed each night, when I'd cry, she'd hold me tight. And when the fever would come, she'd cool my brow. I remember now mama's eyes. When I went my way, how those eyes just seemed to say, may the Lord be your strength and song, words gentle but strong, written there in mama's eyes. In those eyes, my fears were all cast down. In those eyes, my strength were strength without a sound etched into my mind for comfort, hope through every trial. 
eyes that seem to know my every turn, shining with compassion and concern, shedding a light on every shadow, I could find such rest in Mama's eyes. Jesus' eyes, gazing deeper still, to the place only he could fill, needs only he could meet, finally laid at his feet, there is rest in Jesus' eyes. He has loved me more than the greatest of loves before. Love purer than winter snow, there is comfort you know from a look in Jesus' eyes. Because in those eyes my fears were all cast down, in those eyes is strength without a sound. Etched into my mind for comfort, hope through every trial. Eyes that seem to know my every turn, shining with compassion and concern, shedding a light on every shadow, I could find such rest in Jesus' eyes. One day I will see how such love could be given to me. The foolish will be made wise from the truth written there in Jesus' eyes. Well, I sure hope this morning that um, wherever you are in life, whatever trial you're going through, whatever struggle you're dealing with, that you're looking at the temptations of Jesus and you're listening to what he did and say, I trust my Father. I trust who God is not who I think he should be. He will provide for me. He will take care of me in this life and in the next. No matter what I go through, no matter what I struggle with, he is there for me and he will never, ever leave us. Ever. Because you are his child. Look in his eyes. Get your head up and look at him in, the, in, in his eyes. Have that relationship with him. He's not embarrassed of your sin. He died for it. He's not shocked by your sin. He died for that also. So we've got to look him in the eye and say he's a loving father, a good father who cares for us. He knows what's best for us. I might not understand it, but he does. That's my challenge to you this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and uh, let's just pray together for a little bit. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Christ. I don't know if you're a believer. There might be some folks here that aren't. And um, it's an opportunity for you to look in Jesus' eyes. I want you to search yourself right now and search your life. Search how um, Satan has been coming at you and attacking you. Are you providing for yourself or are you looking at Jesus? God is loving enough to want what is best for us. God is wise enough. He's strong enough. All these things are so true. Father, help us to understand that. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it's very simple. It's time to rethink things, to repent and say, you know what? I'm not going to trust in my own provision anymore. I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is say, Lord, I place my trust in you for my salvation not my own works, not my own provision. I trust in you, just like Jesus did in you alone. Would you enter my life? Would you take control over all that junk in my life that is destroying me, that just owns me? Can I turn it over to you? Father, please come into my life. I trust in your goodness. Father, we do trust in your goodness. Even when life gets hard, I, I know um, life does get difficult. And this week, something will smash us in the face. Satan will point us in the chest and say, go ahead and jump. Help us to turn our eyes and fix our eyes on you. 
the visible image of the invisible God, how you dealt with temptation, how you dealt with life, how you dealt with all these things that we deal with because you were completely 100% human. You know what we're going through. You've been through it. And you won. For all authority has now been given to you by your Father. So this morning we trust in you. We thank you for moms and their wonderful eyes and how they stood by us at night when we had fever. Help us to never forget our mothers, but also to never forget the eyes of Jesus who stand by us and never leave us and who cool our brow when we're, we're with fever and who take care of us because it's in your eyes is where we find life. It's in your eyes where we find hope. So, Father, we give you our, this morning, we give you this day. We thank you that you never leave us, that you're always with us, and you love us. You've told us so. Help us to trust in that and not our own provision. It's in your name we do pray. Amen.